This is episode 49 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and joining me to recap games one and two of the Battle of Alberta is Raghu Sharma. Raghu, welcome to the show. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, man, I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's a busy weekend for you, and it's a uh, Good to finally talk some Oilers hockey with you. Uh, how are you feeling today after arguably the biggest win of the year last night? Oh, I feel great. It was uh, it was actually a pretty great atmosphere even after it was all said and done. I uh, made my way over to 17th Ave uh, because I, I do live in Calgary now. I've been here for about 10 years. So it's kind of interesting being an Oilers fan in this city. Uh, <laughs> but 17th Ave, uh, it, was, it was interesting watching all the Flames fans uh, walking away and uh, we stopped by at a couple of bars, and uh, there was nothing but Oilers fans left. So uh, it was nice to just see that camaraderie with everyone and uh, a great bounce back after uh, a pretty rough, rough game one. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I know what it's like to be an Oilers fan living in Calgary. I went to Mount Royal University uh, where I studied the broadcasting program, and uh, I was there from 2010 until 2013. So, uh, you know, it was kind of a, a darker time for, for the Oilers back then. And we might have crossed over a little bit if you said you were there 10 years ago. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, it can be sometimes tough when you're surrounded by Flames fans. Although I did see a, a video that you tweeted out of yourself and some other Oilers fans, as you mentioned, on uh, 17th Ave. Do you know uh, many Oilers fans in Calgary? I actually do know uh, a few. Uh, it's uh, the, the nice thing about living in Calgary, and uh, I'll, I'll give a bit of context about myself too. Uh, my, my parents actually immigrated uh, from India in the early 90s, uh, okay. right before I was born. So uh, I've actually considered myself uh, and my group of friends a bit of a, the cursed generation since uh, the last cup we won was about three months before I was born. So okay. I've seen... I've seen nothing but agony uh, as as an Oilers fan, uh, but yeah, I moved to Calgary in 2013, so uh, just about to hit the 10-year mark. Um, but in answer to your question, um, yeah, I've got quite a few uh, friends who are Oilers fans here. Actually, a lot of people who also uh, made the move down to Calgary in in, in search of work, and um, uh, yeah, got got a good crew of, uh, of, of fans that I talk regularly with, uh, in, in a WhatsApp group. So, uh, we were all definitely enjoying the win yesterday. Oh, that's awesome. And you and I are pretty close to the same generation of Oilers fans. I mean, I was about a year and a half old when they won their, <laughs> uh, their first or their last cup, I should say in 1990. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been a while and who knows, maybe they'll be ending that drought in a, a couple months here, but no, it's good that you know a few other Oilers fans. There was one other Oilers fan in my class when I was in the the broadcasting program at MRU, so that made it a little easier. But uh, yeah, it's uh, if if you can have a good group that you can you know go out and watch a game with or hang out, I'm sure it makes it uh, that much better. And uh, since you're a first time guest on the show, I do want to find out a little bit more about your background as an Oilers fan. So let's just start at the beginning. How did you first get interested in hockey and um, how did you become an Oilers fan? Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it's I, I think one of the biggest things is just uh, being born and raised in Edmonton. Uh, I think Wayne Gretzky put it pretty well when he had his interview with Connor McDavid all those years ago, where he's like, what's Edmonton known for? Uh, sports, church, and the Oilers. And uh, growing up, uh, I was surrounded by um, a, a lot of peers who were, uh, including my cousins, who kind of had that 
five to 10 year age gap on me. So they kind of got to live through like those late eighties uh, hockey championship teams. And so it's just been kind of ingrained in me since I was a kid. Uh, I still remember the, the first Oilers game I went to was actually the Oilers versus the Dallas stars at Rexall. Okay. And, uh, that was back in 2004. I think I, I remember the game well, because it was just the first time I'd ever been there. I went there with my dad and, we were uh, sitting in the lower bowl of Rexall and just the atmosphere and the fan base. And uh, uh, we ended up losing that game 4-3 in overtime. But mm. just uh, it, it, it's kind of uh, th- that vibrancy has been there, been there forever. And um, I, I, as mentioned, uh, because I came from parents of, uh, of, of immigrants who worked really hard, didn't, didn't get to get those opportunities, opportunities as much to, to go to games growing up. So I definitely... Uh, enjoyed them whenever they they came um and then 2005 2006 uh I was a 15 year old kid at that time so I just remember every day I was kind of going to high school and uh uh just getting prepared for like what was to come and kind of the trade acquisitions we made at that time uh getting Chris Pronger the year before Mm -hmm. getting Dwayne Rolison at the deadline and going all the way to game seven and then the heartbreak of that so um uh, and and then obviously the decade of darkness that followed. So, um, uh, yeah, it was a it was a rough time being an Oilers fan. But I think uh, Oilers fans are strong people. We uh, we love our team and uh, we support them through through all those times. Oh, absolutely! And that '06 run really was a magical time to be an Oilers fan. I mean, uh, you said yourself you were 15, I was 17. Just uh, you know, probably the perfect age to enjoy a cup run like that, especially after so many years of mediocrity. And, you know, the Oilers would scratch and claw year after year just to maybe get into the playoffs and have to play a team like the Dallas Stars or the Colorado Avalanche in the first round. And, you know, more often than not, lose that series to to an eventual Stanley Cup winner or contender. So uh, to have a team that you could finally think had a chance to go on a deep run and, and contend themselves, that... It was just something that I hadn't seen up until that point, and uh, I mean, haven't seen since. But let's hope that uh, now that we are in the primes of Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, that one of these years that uh, is going to change, and we'll get to see our team back in the final. Uh, I was going to ask you about your first game at Rex, although you already did kind of allude to that. Um, who were some of your favorite players, though, when you were growing up? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I, I think the heart and soul of the team for me was always Ryan Smith. Love mm-hmm. Smitty. Um, just, I, I, I honestly feel like that's what the that that's what Zach Hyman feels like to me right now. And absolutely, uh, <laughs> I, I I think that all the time too. I mean, they're they're not exactly clones of each other, but there's enough similarities between the two that make them fan favorites in Edmonton. Oh, for sure. Um, uh, the, one one of the other ones I loved was uh, Alish Hemsky. Uh, yeah. Just just the sniping ability that he had. But to be honest, like I think um, I think one thing I've always loved about our players uh, through through the decades um, is just I, I feel like um, we're a very blue collar team. We we've got a lot more skill now, but like the grinded out players, like the Fernando Pisanis, the Sean Horkovs, Ethan Morrow, Mike Pekka. Uh, Sergey Samsonov, Jared Stoll, just just to name a few. Um, 
j- just like these players and, and, and even Doug Wade as, as like, I think he's the first captain I ever remember playing with Ryan Smith and Bill. Garrett. Yeah. In the late nineties, um, early two thousands, for sure. It, exactly. Um, so d- definitely have all of those. The first Jersey I can tell you I got was a Jordan Eberle Jersey. Um, oh, nice. Was, uh, really, really loved him too. And um, I, I think what, one of the things, me and I think a lot of other Oilers fans always think about is just uh, kind of the panic button that gets pushed after after a run, kind of like our our run in 2017, where um, fairly or unfairly, Everly kind of saw the door kind of right after that. Um, uh, but 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 yeah, there's uh, I think there's been a lot of great players that have come through and worn that the Oilers uh, blue and orange, and um, just excited with the crop that we have right now. Yeah, and I think because Edmonton is such a blue-collar city, and you've you've lived there your whole life. I, I've never been a resident of Edmonton, but I, I've always tried to come out to three or four games a year to watch the Oilers play. Uh, it it really is a, a city that loves its players that work hard and battle hard and compete. And when you have a guy like Ryan Smith who took a, a puck to the teeth and lost mm-hmm. lost several teeth. Uh, from uh, a clearing attempt from Chris Pronger in the 2006 playoffs, missed about two shifts and came back out there. The dedication of that guy to to get back as quick as he could to help his team. Those are the kind of players that Edmontonians really love and that Oilers fans love because they they just, they never quit. They continue to battle. They continue to work. And I think that the city sees it itself in a lot of those players. And of course, the city of Edmonton has been blessed with so many superstars over the years. Too. I mean, there there were seven Hall of Famers on the the 1980s Oilers dynasty. And I mean, there's one iconic picture. I think it was at the 1985 NHL All-Star game where there were, I believe, like nine players include and a couple coaches from the Oilers that were there. It's just it really was an all-star team in itself. And, um, you know, the current group has some incredible players too. It's not top to bottom, the type of talent that they had back in the eighties. And we'll never see a team, uh, anywhere in the league that was, uh, that'll be as deep as that group was, but, uh, it's just, it's so special to have those guys, uh, that we have now in McDavid and dry And going back to Smith and, and Hemsky for a minute, I mean, once again, we're mirroring each other here because those were, you know, two of my childhood heroes. And, um, I have their home and away jerseys, both of them from nice. the, from the 2006, uh, Stanley cup, uh, playoff run with the, the Oh six cup patch. And, uh, yeah, Smitty was my ultimate hero. Actually, the, my my favorite broadcasting opportunity of my career was when I was working at the TV station in Lloyd Minster, and I had an assignment to interview him uh, at a junior A game. And just getting to meet my childhood hero was uh, incredible enough, but getting to interview him on TV was was an even better experience. And if if you haven't met him, he's as nice of a guy as you could ever hope to meet, which just makes you you know love the guy even more. And uh, the, the last thing I'll say is uh, you mentioned Eberly, another uh, one of my favorite players. I, I can remember speaking of you uh, being in Calgary when he scored his first NHL goal, which I'm sure you remember, mm-hmm. which, which yeah. was also against the Flames in October of 2010. Uh, I was going home to Saskatoon for uh, Thanksgiving that weekend. And I was sitting at Chili's in the Calgary airport waiting for my flight when that goal was scored. 
And I, I, I was clearly the only Oilers fan in the establishment because I jumped off my seat and cheered when he toe-dragged and went backhand top shelf for his first oh. NHL goal. Uh, the, the rest of the people around me didn't seem as excited about it, but uh, definitely an, an iconic uh, first goal, that's for sure. Um, yeah, and especially to do it against our rival, it, it just makes it that much more sweet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so that I mean, that's a, a memory that comes to mind as you know one of the the best Oilers goals of the last fifteen years. Uh, I just want to ask you, what is your favorite memory of watching the Oilers play live? And I know you were at Game Seven last week, so I imagine that might be your top pick. You know what? As amazing as that was, and and honestly, uh, I remember spending a steep price on those tickets, but it was hundred yeah. percent worth it because I uh, never get to see a game seven. Never got to see a game seven at home, especially and no. uh, getting to experience the the handshake line. And they, honestly, I don't think that there's a crowd that beats the Oilers fandom. Uh, we were cheering all game long, going into the game. The the setup they've got outside of Rogers Place is amazing right now. Um, and you just feel it. Uh, you, you could feel the Kings were on their heels that whole game. Um, yeah. But but if there was a moment, I would have to say it was actually uh, in 2017. I went to game five in round one against the Sharks. Okay. We were, yeah. And I was sitting in the uh, the lower bowl for that game. And, and, and I remember that was uh, our inaugural season. We were uh, in, in Rogers Place and we were down 3-1 in that game, and it, it felt hopeless. And uh, I, f- I forgot who scored the 3-2 goal, but I know that Clefbaum nailed. Had the tying goal. Had the tying yeah. goal, the slap shot from the blue uh, from the blue line, uh, with like a couple minutes to go in the in the third. And um, that overtime pass, that that sauce by Drysaddle to Deharnay, uh, and Deharnay roofs it backhand. I think that's probably the the best. Uh, memory I had because after that like you just knew we were going to win that series and and move on to face the Ducks um so I think that's probably my my favorite live experience but uh I think there's so many so many you could choose from just watching McDavid I've I've been able to see him a number of times and just the kind of goals he can pull off uh you could put any one of those down as a highlight reel too yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think the Dayarnay goal in 2017 is probably the most famous playoff goal since Pisani's overtime winner in Game 5 of the right. 2006 Stanley Cup Final. So uh, we haven't seen one that tops that yet. Maybe we will still this year in the playoffs. But uh, he, when he came to Edmonton, uh, he had a bit of a an all-right start. I remember him scoring a a goal or two early on. And then he went kind of quiet for a while, but Mm -hmm. then scoring that one goal in the playoffs. I mean, here we are five years later, he hasn't played for the team since 2017. And we still talk about this guy. I mean, that's how you can become a legend in oil country and how much this city and this fan base loves the team is that if you score one big goal, you'll be remembered forever. I kind of had the same thought when the Oilers traded for Derek Broussard at the deadline this year. Now, I know he hasn't been a regular in the lineup as of late, but I thought if that guy can have his day or nay moment and score a big goal because of all his playoff experience, then it'll all be worth the trade. And I, I think they only gave up like a fourth or fifth round pick for him. I, I can't remember off the Correct. top. Correct. It, it was definitely a lower pick. Uh, it's interesting that you bring that up because I think this is a great transition to even just the Ken Holland of it all. 
Um, mm-hmm. I think he's kind of had a bit of a shaky tenure. Uh, there was a couple decisions made in just this past off season. Um, and, and I know there were some like personal reasons, like, like we lost, um, uh, uh Larson, uh, to yeah. Seattle, but I, I know that was family related reasons. That was tough to see him go. Um, but I think his acquisition of CC, I was definitely one of the people who was on board with CC based on what I saw him do in uh, Pittsburgh last year during the playoffs. And a lot of people weren't. That was a, a move that was questioned a lot because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the book on him was that he wasn't that great defensively. And here he has been, you know, arguably one of the Oilers best defensive defensemen all season while still contributing, you know, a, a decent amount of points. I 100% agree. Like, I, I think, uh, I, I would argue he probably has been our best defender outside of maybe Bouchard, who's put up, what, like 43 points with only, like, seven points on the power play. Like, what he's done, and honestly, I think he's been robbed of uh, Calder Nom, uh, only for a technicality of, like, yeah. what, the 10-game mark last year. Um, but what he's done... Um, I, I think the acquisition of Kulak was was amazing. I was I, I really like that acquisition again when it happened at the deadline. I'm glad to see that one pan out. Um, but I was going to say, uh, I, I do agree. I hope Derek Broussard does get that moment. I was one of the people who was really on the Nick Paul train. And I, okay. I, I was listening to Bob Stoffer's show, I think a couple days ago, and mm-hmm. he was saying that there was some rumors that we were in, in talks to get him. Obviously, he went to Tampa. Um, and, and I think that led to kind of the backup option with Broussard, but, but I agree if we, we've got kind of depth down the roster, if these kind of players can step in and, and play that big role when it matters. Um, I think that's huge. Like, uh, we, we already yeah. kind of saw it with, uh, some defensive play in game six and seven of the last series, uh, just people stepping up when, when, when you need them to with, uh, people like Russell. So yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, you never know when someone's going to have a big game, and of course, CC scored that huge goal, the the, the yep. series winning goal uh, against the, the game that you were at. As a matter of fact, and I do yep. want to just get a thought on you on that game before we move on. I mean, sure. I went to game one, and it was an incredible experience to be there for a playoff game. Uh, there was one gaffe that happened with about five minutes to go that ended up costing them the game. But I don't want to let that one mistake ruin my experience. I have a lot of pictures and videos and memories from that night. I was directly right above McDavid when he came down the the right wing and scored that goal late in the first period. So that's a goal I'll always remember. Um, I, I just want to get a thought from you on, on that experience. You know, seeing a Game 7 live, the first one in Edmonton in 32 years, uh, the first series that the Oilers had clinched on home ice since beating the San Jose Sharks in 2006 in the second round. Uh, just uh, just tell me about the the game overall. Just you know, you're, you're what are you going to remember the most from that night? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's 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 funny how it all kind of worked out. I was uh, with my sister and my girlfriend. We were just sitting in an Earl's and we were all kind of scouring the the ticketing sites to 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 see where we could find the cheapest option. And we kind of pulled the trigger, decided to go. And I think we had butterflies in our stomach kind of the the whole game and. And honestly, it was uh, it was tense for a while because it was uh, it was it was tight, nothing. but the Oilers controlled yeah. the play. So at least yeah. that's how I felt watching the game on TV. That you know, I they don't have a lead yet, and I'd love them to to get one, but it, it didn't feel like the Kings were really ever going to take over. It, they the Oilers just seemed to like have that one in control. It was just a matter of when they were going to beat quick. Yeah, it's. It, 
yeah, great point. Like, I, I agree. I think we completely dominated them after the second period. They only had, I think, 17 shots on net. It just, it just felt yeah. like we were coming in waves. We couldn't be stopped. Um, but, but then, then the panic does set in when you get like the McDavid feed to Yamo and he hits the post and oh, yeah. uh, Bouchard hits a crossbar and you're just like, it's only a one nothing game. Are we going to be able to pull this off? <laughs> and then, and then McDavid gets the the amazing feed from Yamo, goes around the net, gets hooked and still puts the puck in. And, and that celebration, yeah. I think that's what I'll remember the most. Like it, it reminded me of um, the Yakupov celly in, in a it way. Did. I said that on the last podcast, too. That celebration was Yakupov-esque. Uh, were you at that end of the ice when he scored the goal? I, yes, he was on our end of the ice uh, because we, we saw the, the goal in the second period when CC scored. It was on the opposite end, so it right. was so hard to tell where he'd beat him. I had to go home and see the, the goal and just to see the fact that he beat him through a defender short side under quick, like the seven hole under quick. What a shot by CC. And, and even going back to game six, like Barry had the game winner there. So um, uh, I've got a couple uh, Leafs friends who are uh, uh, live in Calgary as well. And it's kind of nice to, uh, for all the uh, chirping they give us about like, <laughs> when is McDavid going to go anywhere? I'm like, well, we've got Hyman, CC, and Barry. What, what do those three have in common? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, that's, uh, that's hilarious. And they've all scored a uh, game winning goals in the, in the playoffs so far, which, exactly. uh, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, uh, how often do you try to get out to watch the Oilers play? Do you, do you see the two times a year they come to Calgary? Do you make it up to Edmonton to watch them a couple times as well? Uh, it depends on, on, on the year. Usually, uh, obviously the last couple of years have been impacted by COVID, but, uh, this year I actually managed to go to five games, uh, four oh, wow. in Rogers, uh, one, one in the saddle dome. So I went, uh, to the BOA, uh, I think it was right around the, right before the new year where dry had that toe drag move where he cut across the ice and beat Markstrom. And, and then I think we buried an empty net and went five, three. Yeah. Um, I saw our comeback against the devils over there. I, oh, I remember that two. game. Yeah. And then we came back and won six, three in that amazing third period. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the biggest statement game outside of uh, the, the game seven I saw there was when we played Vegas uh, because Vegas was on the brink, and was it the four nothing game? The four nothing game. I yeah. was at that game, and uh, there was a lot of Vegas fans. I was I was actually pretty impressed. They uh, they they made the trek um, uh, from from Vegas. Uh, uh, there was a couple <laughs> sitting behind us where um, the, the husband and wife were on opposite sides, and uh, okay, just that game. I, I think Logan Thompson was in that for for Vegas. Yeah, um, they had both their goalies hurt, and he was uh, stepping up. That's right, but yeah. uh, even even with that, uh, I, I didn't take much of it because they still had Eichel, they still had their healthy roster back, and and we shut them out, and that's when it felt like Smith was um, about to make this turnaround, and 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 I agree, you mentioned the gaff in game one, um, and and I'm sure we're gonna get get over to game one and game two recap yeah. here too, but right um, uh, yeah, that was um, I, I still feel like. Smith is our guy. He he's our guy for the season, and um, uh, and he's found ways to overcome the the one game. And I love that. That's Woodcroft mentality too. It's 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 one game at a time mentality, and I think the players have really bought into that. Yeah, and he doesn't hold guys in a doghouse or anything. He gives them the opportunity to get right back in there <laughs> and, and you know rebound. Um, just to wrap up on talking about uh, 
uh, your series, uh, well, the the series that preceded the one we're going to talk about in a second here. Uh, you mentioned to me that you are going to Dallas uh, for work next week. I, I'm just wondering, were you hoping that the Stars would beat the Flames in the first round so that you could watch the Oilers while you were there? Or was it simply because you just wanted the Flames to lose? <laughs> Uh, definitely, definitely a combination of both. Uh, I, I think there's always that nice ribbing if you can uh, uh, see see your team advance. There, there would have been a lot of storylines there. We would have been Canada's team. Yeah. Um, we would have heard those storylines. Uh, I, I did think, um, uh, well, I, I think when it came to the competition level with, and this factors a lot, like with Drysaddle's injury, with with Nurse's potential core injury, core muscle injury right now. I kind of thought that Dallas could have posed a bit of an easier challenge. Um, yeah. I, I did watch that series closely, and um, the Flames were significantly better than Dallas, but Ottinger really helped the, held them in that series. So uh, my thought process was kind of both. It would have been nice to see the, the, the Flames lose and for the Oilers to possibly have uh, an easier series. But in the playoffs, nothing is guaranteed, and, and you never know um, what could have happened right. uh, in an alternate universe. So. Um, and Jake Ottinger was playing out of this world too, but I, I, I do think I do think the Oilers would have given him a better series than the Flames attackers did. Um, and as well, I was kind of hoping for some redemption against the Stars because, you know, they they the Oilers and Stars met each other in the playoffs six out of seven years between 1997 yes. and 2003, and uh, the Oilers only got the best of them once. So I, I wanted uh, it's been 19 years, and I wanted them to have a chance to get one back on those stars, even though the players that were involved in those series are long gone, just being able sure. to, uh, to beat that team that, uh, gave me so many headaches as a kid. Cause honestly, <laughs> when I was, when I was 10 years old, 12 years old, uh, pick an age. Like, I mean, I hated the stars more than Same. I hated the flames. The flames were really irrelevant at that time. And the rivalry didn't mean much to me because the Oilers, you know, at least were in the playoffs, even if they were a seventh or eighth seed, while the Flames were still near the bottom of the West. But Dallas was the team we were running into in the first round constantly. So that's why I felt they were the Oilers' biggest rival. It wasn't until later on, um, probably post-lockout, that I, I would say that rivalry really intensified because the Flames had gone to the final in 04. Coming mm -hmm. out of the lockout, the Oilers had made the final in 06. And then they, at least for one year, were both playoff teams. And it looked like they were actually going to meet in the second round until uh, the Ducks upset the Flames in the, the first round that year. So it's, a, it's you know kind of a, a rivalry I thought we were going to see back then. But 16 years later, we're getting it uh, in the playoffs now. And I think that's a good time for us to transition over. By the way, thank you also for sharing all those stories. It's great to always... Uh, learn about a, a new Oilers fan and uh, <laughs> we'll recap game one of the Battle of Alberta now and you know the the Oilers couldn't have had a worse start to the series uh, the Flames struck twice 51 seconds in and they were ahead 5-1 by the second period but the Oilers erased two four goal deficits to tie the game 6-6 early in the third period before the Flames responded with three more unanswered goals to secure a 9-6 win and a 1-0 series lead Raghu, uh, poor starts have been, you know, one of this team's biggest issues all season. And game one against their provincial rivals was another example of that. What went wrong for the Oilers to put themselves in that deep of a hole early on? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it, it, it's funny, uh, in the pre-games over the last couple of days setting up that series, they sounded very calm, cool, and collected. 
uh, were trying to write off the series as much as they could, saying, uh, we know it's a BOA, but um, uh, it shouldn't, that, sh- that shouldn't factor into to, to the ultimate goal of winning four games. But it seemed like they came out with their sticks held tight. Um, and I think just some of those goals, like, like yeah, three goals in the first six minutes, as you mentioned, and, and what Lindholm, the goal off the very first shot, kind of a weird yeah, factor, that's but one I feel that's like a you should have had. Yeah, it's, it, it, and it's kind of like you, you got two goals in under a minute and like what half the team has shifted onto the ice, maybe less. <laughs> um, and you're also igniting that- an already, you know, revved up crowd and just giving them all the momentum and putting you back on your heels. And then you let in a second one. So now we're, we're not even a minute into the game and we're already trailing by two. I mean, it's just, you can't do that. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into talking about the next game as well, but I mean, it just, it, it's, it starts like that, that have, you know, plagued this team all year. And I'm glad that they've been able to have so many come from behind victories that were able mm-hmm. to get them into the playoffs. But yeah, it's just, uh, that's, that's a, a trend that we started to see corrected a little more in the second half of the season, but it, it's starting to, you know, rear its ugly head in the playoffs again. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good point because if, if you think about the nine games we've played so far, I would argue that only games six and seven are ones where we kind of come out like a, a, a desperate team. And sometimes uh, it, it's funny how, uh, regardless of the roster, uh, the, the Oilers mentality always seems to play better when they're under pressure. And I, I don't know why that is because we definitely have all the talents in the world. Um, but yeah, in game one, it, it, it just seemed like they came out with their sticks held tight. Uh, give it to them. They, 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 as you said, overcame two, four goal deficits. Uh, but all in all, like we didn't really deserve to be in that game. I think we were outshot by like twenty. High danger chances were also like more than double, I believe. Yeah. And uh, and and our special teams really killed us too. Like um, our power play one hasn't looked good in this series so far. Uh, even we'll we'll kind of talk about that even in game two. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's nice to see uh, that the Oilers finally have a power play too. And um, I think that's partly the impact of Woodcroft. Like, uh, like I, we haven't really talked much about the season, but I almost think of the season in 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 thirds almost because we we had the great sixteen and five start, then we had that brutal two thirteen and two, and then we wrapped it up with an amazing finish. And uh, and and you can see a lot of the tendencies of just fighting back to the neutral zone and all those kind of things uh, with with our centers kind of came in when when Woodcroft and Manson brought in a lot of those systems, but. As you yeah. mentioned, two out of nine games so far where we haven't started off strong. Uh, I'm I'm really hoping we we turn that around in the next uh, next two home games we got here. Yeah, it's puzzling why this team continues to you know not be ready for off the jump and and that they get it you know the other team takes it to them so hard early on and then they have to kind of just fight their way back. It would be nice to play with the lead a little more often, mm-hmm. um, and and I just. You could tell, like they they weren't ready right from the drop of the puck. It, Mike Smith on the first goal was playing far too deep in his crease. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure why he didn't come out to challenge the shooter more on that one, it, and then it went right through the arm. Um, yeah. It was it was just a rough outing for him. He was obviously pulled after allowing three goals on only ten shots, and I think there was just a lot of sloppiness in the defensive zone and a lot of self inflicted wounds, as well as some unlucky bounces. Like I'm thinking of the. Dry Seidel trying to make a pass up the middle of the ice. It hits his own teammate's skate, bounces back into the zone, and gives Kachuk a breakaway, which he unfortunately mm-hmm. scores on. But those are the kind of things that 
you have to avoid like you know a, a little pass up the wall instead of putting it up the middle Correct. where it can easily get picked off especially in a one goal game you know and you know Drysaddle's such a good passer that you expect him you know almost 10 out of 10 times to complete it <laughs> but you, you get a bad break like that sometimes where uh, a teammate was in the way of your intended target and it just you know it hits a skate and it it just went to the the worst guy at the the worst possible time and it ends up in the back of your net but um, yeah, it's that... a... oh, oh no, sorry, go sorry. ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say, I think, uh, just that, that's a really great point you just raised there because, uh, you, you think about the same thing that happened in game one of the last round where, uh, you, you look at that play more closely and the pass Smith is making is because of the call up that dry is asking for. And it's a good hand eye coordination that drops that puck. Smith makes the initial save, but then we're scrambling. And I, I think, uh, even prior to the, the Kachuk eight, six goal, after tying it 6-6, we just almost took our foot off the gas pedal when we had them reeling, and we got stuck in our zone for about 70 seconds, and then Rasmus Anderson was allowed to walk in. And I, I know some people will say Koskinen should have had that save, and, yeah. and maybe he should have. Maybe you need your goalie to make that save, but there was no close out there. There was nothing there, and um, you, you give a team enough high danger chances, they're going to put them in the back of the net. So um, I think all around that that game... Uh, we just, it was too many deficits to overcome in yeah. the end. We did talk about, I mean, you know, some of the, the bad bounces, but honestly, when you're playing sharp, detail-oriented hockey, you seem to have better luck. And the Oilers just simply didn't do that in game one. I think you made some good points there. They they just, from all angles, were, were, no matter where you look at it, they were just very sloppy in all three zones, and they, they couldn't complete passes. They were getting four-checked to death and just... It it wasn't their night. Although I I do respect the fact that they they came back, and I want to ask you about that now. I mean, they did battle as we talked about to briefly tie the game, despite having a mountain to climb. Led, of course, by Connor McDavid, who had four points, and Zach Hyman mm-hmm. burying a couple quick goals. Um, and even though they ended up surrendering the lead with just a minute and twenty eight seconds later on the goal you just talked about, uh, what can you say about? the resiliency of the Oilers in game one after that brutal start? Well, I think that was the biggest takeaway for me personally, just uh, for a game we played so poorly and executed so poorly on the, the fact that we had that will to come back. And and honestly, like Connor McDavid is playing out of this world right now, like 20 mm-hmm. points in nine games is unheard of numbers that I think is just not getting talked about enough, but I, I think the, the, the some of the takeaways we can take is that battle level, that resiliency to be able to come back, to not give up. Um, I think I've in the past, I would have seen Oilers teams just kind of accept that defeat, and they did not do that. Uh, I think another big sign was just that Markstrom just hasn't looked sharp. I think in the last three games, including the, the 5-9 loss that I saw uh, earlier in the year, um, that that was the last BOA before this series. He's surrendered 16 goals in, in three games, and and plus two more that got called out that got called off in the in um, game two. So well, if you remember, him, he wasn't that great last season. I mean, that last year was his first year mm-hmm. in Calgary, and the Oilers won six out of the ten times they played last season. Obviously, because of the Canadian division, they were playing more than usual. And, you know, McDavid has really owned the Flames throughout his career. He's always put up great numbers against them. But Markstrom in particular was one goalie that he was lighting up consistently last year. I believe he had two hat tricks against him. I mean, this is 
this is, you know, uh, the best player in the world going up against a goalie on a new team. And, you know, I'll, I'll give Markstrom credit. He, you know, he's had a much better second year in Calgary and obviously as a Vesna nominee, but he has not looked good in this series so far. Yeah, I would even argue that uh, in the first round too, and, and it could be, it's tough to be a goalie. I'll never claim to know the fundamentals. Of no, being a me goalie. neither. Uh, but in, even in the Dallas series, like for like Ottinger stole the show because yeah. of the shot volume, but I would argue he wasn't that great in that series either. I, I get that maybe you're only facing a couple shots every five, six minutes. So it, it, it forces you to run through these hot, cold cycles. But the um, stars didn't have the offensive weapons to test him enough. They're like, he's getting uh, a lot more pressure put on him from the Oilers forwards than the stars were. And I think they've exposed something here. Uh, like uh, in game two, where we're going to get to it, but Kane had that shot that um, he went for the glove, and the glove's been exposed many, many times oh. in the playoffs so far. <laughs> I was saying that last night watching the game, and you know, honestly, uh, we've heard so much about Miko Koskinen having a weak glove hand. <laughs> and and I, I'm not going to say that uh, Markstrom is a bad goalie by any means, but I mean, that is an identity. Uh, an area that they've identified is is a weakness right now, and and they're shooting there at every opportunity when they get a chance. And I mean, it, it's worked for them so far. I, I want to ask you a question, actually. Mm -hmm. um, so when when all like obviously we didn't get Markstrom, and obviously chose Calgary. Yeah. But d were you were you that uh, disappointed that we didn't get him? Like I, I I'm disappointed in the fact that we haven't found a true goalie for this team, and and. Oh. Hopefully Skinner turns out to be the goalie that we're all hoping he's going to be, uh, given that he hasn't had much time to try out so far. But I, I've seen Markstrom get exposed on the glove a lot, even even when he was on Vancouver. So that those were my concerns about him. He is a good goalie. He's a big goalie. But the, what what we're exposing about him is is the fears I even had around that time when he was rumored to even be our goalie. Yeah. I mean, I was a little disappointed because I thought that this could be the franchise goalie that the Oilers mm -hmm. need and, and lock that up. Um, it, it did seem a little confusing that he picked Calgary over Edmonton. <laughs> I mean, it, it you know, it, it, directly or indirectly, whatever you want to say, it, it's him believing that the Flames have a better chance to win because I think the Oilers actually offered more money. They so did. the fact that he took less to go there shows that you know he was more confident in what they're building than what the Oilers are building. So I think it maybe was a little bit more of a slap in the face than than anything, and that might have added to the frustration of not getting him. And then, you know, Smith was an afterthought at that point because of, you know, his disappointing one start against the Blackhawks in the 2020 playoffs. But uh, it, seemed, it seemed like they were ready to roll with Miko Koskinen as the backup and try and find a starter. Eventually, they couldn't, and Mike Smith was re-signed. And I can remember Twitter that day. People were freaking out, saying, are you kidding me? How are they bringing this guy back? And then he had, I won't say a Vesna-caliber season, but, I mean, he did finish seventh in Vesna voting. So, you know, a, a top 10 goalie in the league last year anyway. So mm -hmm. it... it he did exceed expectations at 39 years old, and then here we, he is now at 40 years old playing for the Oilers in the playoffs, and he's got them to the second round. I don't want to hang too much on Mike Smith. There have been times in the playoffs when he has looked horrible, and there's been times <laughs> in the playoffs when he has looked fantastic. I mean, two shutouts in the first round. So anyone who's criticizing him uh, for the bad games, I hope you're also praising him for the games when he plays well, because he was a big reason why 
they won that series and that they're even in this uh, Battle of Alberta right now. Absolutely. Um, yeah, like if we transition to game two here. Um, well, I have I, a couple I, more things I want to ask oh, you about sure. game yeah, one yeah. before we go on. But um, uh, just just to finish up on on the the come the failed comeback, um, you know, when Hyman scored to make it five three, mm-hmm. I, th- I thought they could really make a game of it and win. But giving up that goal right after to make it 6-3 again, it was a deflating goal. And then I felt confident again when Dreisaitl scored before the end of the second to cut the deficit to one. You could feel the energy in the building that, you know, Oilers fans were up on their feet cheering. They had quieted the Saddle Dome. uh, And it just, it it looked like, you know, okay, anything could happen in the third. But it's like we talked about a few minutes ago. Miko Koskinen, he can't allow that goal just less than two minutes later after they worked so hard to tie the game because it, it basically sunk them, in my opinion. And you just can't have that. It The Oilers had just done such a great job. And mm-hmm. when you when you put in that kind of effort to, to get yourself back in the game, you need your goalie to step up and come through for you. And I do give Koskinen a little bit of grace because he hasn't started a game in two weeks. But there's a, that, yeah, there, there was no one taking the man coming in from the point when he scored that goal. But just you, you have to cover that. You have to find a way to make a save because I, I just felt like that lost it for them. And it, it was a tough one to swallow, if I'm being honest. And, and the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is like the Flames are a very big and physical team that are going to hit you and they're going to hit you often. But that's the kind of hockey Daryl Sutter has always liked. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the Oilers knew what they were getting coming into the series. And even though they have some players that can play that style too, I don't think they were physical enough in that game. Like we, we did see Evander Kane almost fight Milan Lucic after he threw a late hit on Connor McDavid. Yeah. Uh, but and I mean, it was good to see Kane answer the moment, but I just think that they need more from their rugged players. They have to do a better job of making their presence felt physically in this series. Uh, what do you think about that? No, I completely agree. And I think, um, and, and I think one of the most fascinating things is about choosing when to, to, to take that battle into account. Like uh, I, I think the late hit on McDavid was a penalty. It was crazy. I had some, Flames friends who were telling me like that's a perfectly fair hit. I don't know how you <laughs> call that a fair hit when you're getting hit. It was after behind, the whistle. Okay. It, yeah. <laughs> it was after the whistle is from behind. Um, but I think uh, I think at that point it was a good uh, good point for Kane to step in, and I think it was really the refs who kind of stepped in to prevent that fight from happening because Kane right. was ready to go. Um, but I think the the bigger point was actually when we got that power play, and uh, I think it was Shillington who took that penalty and then yeah um, i didn't know that rule either about you know allowing whoever they want to come out of the box and of course it was uh kachuk that came out first and then scored like it just it couldn't have worked out worse for the oilers in that scenario exactly and i think um i think see that's one of those moments where you could tell that kachuk was initially just trying to get a retaliation penalty which is what he tends to do um but i thought that was a point where kane should not have um, kind of stepped in because regardless of who came out of the box first there, um, Kane being off when there was a power play there, that that's more of a loss for us because it's not like Chucky plays the penalty kill. So it almost kind of 
was a double negative in, in that sense. Not only did we surrender the goal, but Kane was forced to sit in the box. And then, and then I think you saw Kill, uh, Shillington like laughing after that goal. because Yeah, he was kind of chuckling. <laughs> Although I'm glad the Oilers got one laugh back on him. I, I was thinking that yeah. last night too. I was thinking that last night too. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I agree. I think the physicality is not really the Oilers' strong strong suit when it comes to no. how they need to play in this series. I think what they need more, and I think they showed it more, <laughs> is their toughness. Their yeah. ability to take the hit and keep the play going. That's the Oilers we know that can win this series. When they get involved in the after-the-whistle stuff, it's... Uh, it, it, who is it really helping? I think uh, Landeskog in the um, Blues and Abs series said that himself. He's like, we're at a time of the year where what does the scrums after the whistle really get you? Unless yeah. maybe you're down by a lot in that game. And and at that point, that was a tight game. So um, yeah. I think we played a bit into the Flames' hands uh, by by getting caught up in the in the Battle of Alberta hype, if I'm, if I'm being honest. Oh, for sure. And at the same time, though, I still think that there are guys who can have more of an impact and mm-hmm. and can contribute more. They don't have to contribute on the score sheet, but they can, you know, make a make a big hit. They can, you know, do something to spark the team that way. Like, I, I think we have to give Darnell Nurse a bit of a pass here because he's yes. reportedly dealing with a core muscle injury that might require surgery in the offseason. So that's a little concerning. Um, and it's probably limiting his ability to engage in the rough stuff as much as he normally does. But as a guy like Zach Cassian, I mean, this mm-hmm. is what he's paid for. Yes. You know, playing in the bottom six, he's not expected to score a lot, but he has to bring that intimidation factor. He has to throw those thunderous hits that we've seen him do so many times, especially in the 2017 playoffs, which was probably his most famous time with the Oilers. Mm-hmm. Um you know, maybe he'll even have to drop the gloves with an old teammate like Milan Lucic just to give the team, you know, a spark at some point. And for a guy like Josh Archibald, who doesn't get a lot of ice time, he has to be a human torpedo out there. And that's how he's effective. But I want to see more hits from him in the offensive zone that lead to scoring chances yes. because of turnovers, not just throwing hits for the sake of throwing hits. And just collectively as a group, I felt the Oilers... There, there was a lack of a willingness to compete hard for pucks in the corners and along the boards. And, and you know, the Oilers might be able to outskill a team in the regular season, but there mm-hmm. has to be a greater level of commitment to all facets of the game to win in the playoffs, especially against a, a well-coached team and a, a team as good as Calgary. I, yeah, I completely agree. I, I think that's uh, like the, the stat on what McDavid having five hits and a combination of four of our biggest guys not even adding up to five. Like as you pointed out, Cassie yeah. and Archie, neither of them laid laid a hit. And I get that they're not playing more they're than not playing five a lot, minutes, but, but um, you got to still try to make yourself a factor out there. And I think that was what they did in game six and seven. But um uh, I, LA is a much different team than than Calgary. LA was dealing with injuries. They had a bunch of rookies in there. You're you're playing now a team that's tough, like team on the back end with like Zadorov and Goodbranson, and um, I, I think like even Rasmus Anderson can throws his body around once in a while. If if that's the back end you're playing with, you gotta you gotta you gotta force them into the mistakes. And yeah, we 100%. did not do enough of that in game one. Definitely. Okay, let's move on to game two now. And last night's game didn't start out much better than the opening game in Calgary. 
The Oilers found themselves down by two again early, but they rallied to tie the game 3-3 after 40 minutes. Then Zach Hyman and Leon Dreisaitl scored a pair of breakaway goals in the final frame to propel the Oilers to a 5-3 road win and even the series at one. This was an extremely entertaining game, Ragu, and I didn't expect the Oilers to win both games at the Saddledome, but I thought it was mm-hmm. crucial for them to come home with at least a split, and you know which they did. And I said on this podcast a couple of weeks ago that I thought Hyman could be a hero for the Oilers in the postseason. And, you know, he was the hero in game two, scoring the shorthanded game winning goal. And it was just so great to see a warrior like Hyman, who works so hard every time he steps on the ice, score that goal last night, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Amazing. Like he was, uh, I would say he was arguably outside of McDavid, probably our best player in, in both games and, and definitely the hero in game two. But I, I just felt like he's uh, made himself a presence. Just his battle level is in, it's amazing. I've seen, saw it a bunch of times through the regular season uh, where he would just carry the puck in, take on five guys by himself and kill like a minute off the clock. Um, definitely there aren't bad. many guys in the league who can do that. Like he can cycle the puck all by himself. Exactly. Uh, just, just his ability to keep pucks alive. Uh, body people off uh it's his his demeanor is uh it's kind of deceiving sometimes because you wouldn't think from just the way he looks the way he acts that he'd be able to do it but watching him in Toronto I was so excited when when we were going to be bringing him on because uh he was one of the players I really loved on that team and I'm just like I know what he can do uh on this roster so yeah just seeing him be able to get that goal. And I felt like there was a bit of hockey gods karma in there because uh, his goal was the one that was disallowed. I, I couldn't agree more, my friend. Like, I mean, I, I can't think of a, a, a better guy to score the most important goal of the series than Hyman. And, and like you said, like he, he had his stick break, first of all, in the first period yes. on uh, the Flames' uh, first goal. And then he because of a quick whistle earlier in the game he had his own goal called back so it seemed only fitting that Hyman would be the guy to score the game winner and I just also love Hyman and Nugent Hopkins as a penalty killing duo same because I think like not only are they solid defensively they're a threat to score shorthanded because of their hockey sense their skating ability their instincts and we've seen these two create a bunch of shorthanded chances this year. And of course, uh, the biggest one of was all of all was uh, in game two with Hyman or Nuge sending in Hyman all alone for that that beautiful goal that uh, that got all the Oilers fans in the building excited and uh, had so many concerned faces on the flames of uh, on the fa- faces <laughs> of Flames fans. I loved it. Well, you're totally right there, too, because, uh, like, not only did Nuge disrupt the initial pass that came from the, the right corner there, right. Uh, it got caught up in uh, Erasmus' skate. He missed, and yeah, he just... Was, yeah, he missed it, and then it was the nice chip forward uh, that was just the perfect weight for Hyman to pick it up and carry it all the way, and nobody was going to catch him when no, that happened. And because they were on the power play, and it looked like uh, Anderson was going to have the one-timer, everyone was pinching in, so... Yeah. By the time that puck's turned over, Hyman's got a jump on everyone. And and even though the defender almost got back in time to uh, to catch him, he was still able to roof it once again, as we talked about it, going glove side. And I believe the ref actually had his hand up. There was a penalty uh, for hooking the hands on that call. Uh, but, of, of course, it was negated by the Oilers scoring. Um, so uh, just the perfect guy to score that goal. And then 
uh, just a few minutes later, another yeah. breakaway. Leon Dreisaitl with the insurance marker. We know he's playing with an injured ankle right now. He didn't look like himself in game one, uh, you know, despite still ha- being a factor in scoring a goal in the game. You, you can tell he wasn't at 100%. But here he is tonight having a, a, another big game, three points, and, uh, you know, th- that goal that really, you know, sealed the deal. Yeah, and what a pass, right, by Mike Smith to mm-hmm. get him out of the zone there. Um, I was actually kind of surprised that Dorov wasn't able to keep that in, but the, the, that's the break sometimes, right? And and even even with Drysaddle having a high <laughs> ankle sprain or or whatever they're they're specifically calling it, uh, when when he's got the wheels to just kind of skate through, no one's catching him either. And I I no. loved um, I I think it's quite interesting how the two different goals happen because uh, Hyman beat uh, Markstrom over the glove side, but uh, Dreisaitl went over the blocker side. And I think that was just a great read too, because uh, it looked like Markstrom was ready uh, for the, for the glove shot and uh, based on his reaction. So that was just a smart shot by, by probably what, what is it? The next, the second best player in the league right after McDavid. So uh, yeah, that was amazing. Um, and then the game wasn't over there, as you know. Like they, they managed to get uh, kind of a hunky dory call, which was another thing I wanted to comment on. Yeah. It's just the refs in, in, in this specific game. Um, I don't know what your specific thoughts were uh, on that. I mean, they're calling a few more penalties than we saw last year or the year before. But that, mm-hmm. I mean, I see Flames fans on Twitter saying that, you know, McDavid is complaining for calls or he gets too many calls. I don't know what game they're watching because for for every call he gets, there's about four that are missed. So it's it's never going to be everything. There, there's always going to be missed calls. And you just hope that they maybe get even half of them. Uh, I, I'd probably settle for a quarter of them, to be honest. Um, and, and you know what I was going to say before I forget? The the funny thing about the, the, the assist by Smith is that it wasn't even as a nice it wasn't even his nicest assist of the season. Correct. Yes, the the cross ice pass and or or the straight down the uh, overtime pass to McDavid is the greatest pass oh, I've ever seen a goal. That's a out. that's a season highlight in San Jose in overtime. McDavid just he put it right on his tape at center ice. I just I you couldn't have asked for a a better pass from Mike Smith. It's like he's done it a hundred times at practice or something. Well, and I think that's one of the biggest reasons why he's sustained for as long as he has. Because of his puck-moving ability. He can kill a four-check on his own just just by the way he's able to track down, stop a puck behind the net, you know, be another option for the defenseman. And look, the odd time, it does end up in the back of your net. We talked about the the incident in Game 1. You know, he made made a mistake there and it cost his team the game. But for all of those times when it ends up near your net more often than not, he makes a good play with it. And, and of course, you know, uh, had the primary assist on the insurance marker tonight. So, or last night. So it's a, uh, it, it works out too. I, I completely agree. And I think it's part of the reason he sustained so long as a goaltender, right. his communication with his D is there. Um, and, and I think it also just helps us without getting stuck in the zone as much as, as we do having, having a goalie that can make that kind of play. Uh, especially, I think it's a, it's a big factor that's needed against the Flames because you see their defense activates a lot. Um, so if, if Mike Smith can get to that puck and, and he can read the play well enough, you could get the transition offense there to, 
get that odd man rush to potentially get get a goal. And I think that's something the Flames even have to be more cognizant of, uh, just knowing that Smith is in the net. Oh, 100%. All right, we have to talk about Connor McDavid now. He was brilliant once again, picked up a goal and an assist in the victory. Uh, we almost expect him to get two or three points a game now. Uh, Regu, what what can you say about the amazing performance McDavid had in game two? Oh, it's just jaw-dropping. Like, I've been watching him for, what, seven years now? Yeah. And it's just... It, he just gets better every year. His pace to get to 100 points is faster every year. It's just, uh, at some points, I don't even think he's human. Um, but, like, the goal he scored, af- the goal he scored yesterday after the goal- previous goal was disallowed, which, um, again, it's kind of an iffy call. I'll, I'll give it to the refs there because he, he did kind of go through the crease. But we've seen other goaltender interference calls go the other way, so you don't even know what what's going to happen. But to immediately come back, after the deflation of a, of a missed goal and then goaltender interference goal to score the goal that he did, he just froze Markstrom the way he moved the hands. And he even bodied, bodied someone up, got, got the puck back to Keith and then just drifted through the crease to score that goal. And he just does it with such ease. He's, he's too good for this league. And it's amazing (laughs) that we are lucky enough to have him on our team. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what can you say about Connor McDavid? We're running out of ways to describe his greatness. Uh, eight or yeah, that was his eighth multi-point game of the playoffs uh, yeah. last night. The only game so far that he doesn't have multiple points was when they were shut out in LA for nothing. <laughs> but just he finds a way to be brilliant every night. It's just. The, the simple things that he does. I mean, we, we all know that he, you know, can dangle with the puck and can blow by defensemen and just, you know, drive hard to the net for, you know, these amazing end-to-end goals. But, you know, I think about the goal he scored last night after the, the disallowed dry sidle goal. What does he do? He comes right back about 40 seconds later and picks up a pass from dry sidle, makes a, a, a pass back to the point, gets open, Duncan Keith gets it down to him. And once he's one-on-one with the goaltender, Markstrom had no chance. He just dekes him out and makes it look so simple. But it's it's the way that he's able to just spin off a defender. And because yeah. his first step is so quick, it, it's almost like the, if the defenseman gets too close to him, that's when they're really in trouble because he's just going to make that quick spin move and he's just going to make a beeline right to the net. I, I remember on the Yamamoto goal in game one, he was mm-hmm. up against the boards. It was just off a face-off. Uh, Connor picks up the puck along the wall and just like a, a, a straight side angle towards the net. And I think it was almost an intentional shot pass. Like he put it in a good off spot the off the pad that bounced right onto Yamamoto's tape and he just had to finish it. It was, you know, so textbook for him. It's those kind of plays. And like I said, he's always going to have these otherworldly performances where he's going to score highlight real goals. I mean, uh, his his top 10 goals this this year <laughs> uh, could be you know more than most uh, players in their entire career so it's just it's phenomenal what he's able to do night after night and we're so lucky to have him at Edmonton and he's the reason why I still believe the Oilers are going to win this series oh yeah I, well I, I was gonna just bring up a couple other stats here like like yeah we, we already captured that he's got 20 points in nine games but the Oilers are one for 10 on the power play in this series like yeah. could you imagine how much 
And, and, that's, and that's concerning, and, and especially yeah. because the only goal that the Oilers scored was the second unit, and it was yes. Evan Bouchard. Great slap shot goal by him last night, too. I really hope uh, that he starts using that shot more often, and we might, even, we might even see him get promoted to the first unit eventually, replacing Tyson Berry. I know that there have been times where they slotted him in once in a while throughout the year, but for the most part, that's been Barry's spot. Uh, but yes, I, the, the power play has to get better. Yeah, and that's uh, that. That's I think one of the big keys for for game threes and three and four coming with the with the home ice advantage with the with the way you can line up. Uh, like I, I think the two biggest impacts I take away from both games one and two are we were bad in the faceoff circle in both games and we were bad on the power play. If these are two things that can improve, and we're putting six goals past Markstrom without these things happening, um, I just think that there's. It's like we haven't even seen the best of what the Oilers can do in games one and two yet. So, like, how no. much how much higher is their ceiling right now? <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, the two stats that stood out to me the most from uh, last night's game uh, regarding McDavid is that he became the first Oilers player to record 20 points in one playoff year since Chris Pronger in 2006. And what makes it even crazier is that that was Pronger's total up until game seven of the Stanley Cup final. He finished with 21 points. We're wow. just, we're two games into round two and Connor's <laughs> already at 20. And because of that, he matched Mario Lemieux as the third fastest player in NHL history to reach 20 points in a single playoff year in eight, uh, sorry, in nine games. The only players to ever do it faster were Wayne Gretzky and Mike Bossy, who both did it in eight games. I mean, we're talking about some of the all-time greats here. Some of the most talented offensive players to ever play the game. And McDavid is in that category. And what maybe makes it even more impressive is that when Gretzky and Bossy and Lemieux were at their peak, it was in a much higher scoring era. And McDavid mm -hmm. is doing it in present day where it is a much tighter checking uh, coached detail oriented defensive systems laden league. You know, that just, makes what he's doing i think e even more phenomenal oh i yeah 100 percent agree with you there like you just think about how much like you think about the uh, training regiments of like every player now to, to keep up and he's he blows by any defender like you talk about the norris trophy capable defenders um i think kale mccarr is the only one i've seen do a spin move the way that uh that McDavid does, but he's blown by Hedman. He did it earlier this year when, uh, when we did our trip down to uh, Florida and played Tampa, Florida, and then uh, followed it up by yeah. the Carolina game. And he blew right by Victor Hedman. He's blown by Roman Yossi. Like it's just what defenders need to be able to do to match him is, is well, insane right now. He, so. he makes <laughs> the best defenseman in the league look ordinary. And, yes. you know, it, it seems ridiculous that there were, that there was anyone, let alone many people this season, who were debating, uh, is Austin Matthews better than Connor McDavid? <laughs> no one is better than Connor McDavid. He is so far ahead of every other player in the league. I would even still argue that Leon Dreisaitl is better than Austin Matthews. And I know Leafs fans won't like to hear that, but I mean, Dreisaitl has outscored Matthews every year that they've both been in the league together. Correct. 
you know, so we can just start there and, and, and debate beyond that. But but when it comes to Connor McDavid, he's on another level than everyone else. His, he's already right up there with the all-time greats to ever play this game in the same category of talent as Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Bobby Orr, Gordy Howe. Like he's, he's right there with these guys in terms of his offensive impact. And the fact that he's uh, improved his defensive ability, that, oh, that, yeah. he's, that he's checking more, you know, that he's improved in the face-off circle. We don't know what this guy's going to look like at age 26, 27, 28. But at 25, you know, he's just far and away the best player. Oh, yes, I, I agree. And, and and as you mentioned, like just his ability to increase the, the hitting capability, like what it takes to win. I think um, mm-hmm. I think he's learned some of those hard lessons over just what the past few years have been like, uh, like the heartbreak in 17 and then just two years of not advancing against Chicago and getting swept by Winnipeg like. He knows, and 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 I think the the big thing is knowing even how to draw calls now is is so important, and and the the kind of things he's he, doing on the ice, he's he's got this fire that I haven't seen before, and that's crazy to say because we've seen Connor McDavid do well, insane things. It's an internal to drive to win. Like it, he yeah. just has this burning desire inside of him to win, and and he he hates to lose. I've I've heard him say in interviews how how, and I mean all athletes hate to lose but you know i think that he's just this ultra competitive beast i think he has a little bit of michael jordan in him and i'm not saying yeah. that that they're exactly the same but in terms of like dominating their sport and their desire to win i think that you know there's there are similarities there um and, and you know we did uh we we did talk about uh the the power play i once once they get going there you know just watch his point totals go up even more um, since Jay Woodcroft became head coach in February, the Oilers have rarely had back-to-back poor efforts. So I mm-hmm. fully expected that they were going to bounce back and have a better showing in game two. Did you expect the Oilers would win last night after, you know, a, a very poor defensive game in game one? I mean, I, I hope so. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think the tough thing about reading into game one was, they scored three goals in six minutes, right? Uh, if those goals don't go in, it, it seems like a different game because the Oilers definitely woke up a oh, bit yeah. more in game one as well. So I think game two showed, and, and it was tough to be down 2-0 uh, even, right. even in game two because I thought we came out playing a lot better. Uh, like, like you said, the Hyman stick break and then kind of a poor read off of uh, the face-off win with the shot, um, just is kind of an awkward play all around. And then, unfortunately, like the, the the ref blowing the whistle, like there was just a lot that was going wrong. And then uh, a power play failing at the start of the second period leads to a power play for the Flames. And then you're down 3-1. It, it, it does seem a bit like car- the cards are stacked against us. But again, credit this team and credit the systems Woodcroft has put in. Uh, Definitely. This team doesn't have a give up meter uh, in, in it since, since that's taken over. And you've heard it from the players. And you see it in the demeanor of of how they approach each shift. Jay Woodcroft has even invented a word that he likes to use in his uh, post-game pressers often. Uh, uh, He calls it uh, stick-to-itiveness. Yeah, stick-to-itiveness. Yeah, that they they stick to the game plan and they, they don't get down on themselves. And I think in years past, we would see this team start to hang their head on the bench or, you know, feel sorry for themselves if they, you know, went down two nothing early and they felt like, you know, it's going to be a really tough hill to climb back, especially if the 
the opponent really starts to clamp down offensively and not give up much. But this team doesn't have that. This this current group of the Oilers believes that they can win every single game, no matter who they play against. We've seen them beat the Lightning this year. We've seen them beat the Panthers this year. We've seen them beat Mm -hmm. the Avalanche this year. They go into every game expecting to win. And that doesn't change against their biggest rival, the Calgary Flames. And, I, and I'm sure that they are still confident they're going to win this series. I'm sure they're confident they're going to win game three at home on Sunday. And mm-hmm. just, you know, we, we watch this team. It, it looks like they're starting to mature compared to where they might have been uh, in years past. And I just think they're showing a new level of confidence and composure it was most apparent after the goal that was called back uh, on Hyman. You know, that really could have been deflating for them, but they responded by coming right back and scoring after. And I I think that just illustrates, you know, where this team is at right now. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, not one, but two goals called back. So the the level of effort to come back, stick with it, know they're in a battle with 3-3. And as as we saw, the shorthanded goal, uh, by Hyman, and then two minutes and 22 seconds later, Drysaddle putting it in to close out the game. Uh, yeah. yeah, just just amazing performance all around. Um, I also think one of the biggest moves uh, and great moves that um, uh, Woodcroft made was uh, going back to 12 and six, and I think that was important because with Drysaddle's injury the way it is, uh, playing the 11 and seven. If, if he's not really at 100%, it, it kind of does deplete your offensive ability. Um, so I think well, the insertion of Fogel was was very big in this game. And I, I really and he thought, has to be a lot better, too, because like I, I like yeah. Warren Fogel as a player. I think he does some yeah. good things. Um, but, you know, he had a really rough first series against the Kings. So and, you know, I'm hoping that being out of the lineup for a couple games is a wake up call to him because, you know, this is his first year in Edmonton. He yeah. wants to make an impression. Uh, he had a bit of a slow start to the year, although you know he does have the ability to make a skilled play every once in a while. I can think of a a few times this year where he pulled off a, a really impressive move that I might have not expected from him. Like he scored a nice backhand breakaway goal on the Vegas game that you talked about going to uh, last month, and uh, there was a, a really beautiful goal he scored against the Coyotes back in October. There, this this guy does have some offensive chops. He might not be a 20-goal scorer in the league like mm-hmm. Oilers fans were hoping for when they traded Ethan Bear for him. But I think that he could be a 15-goal guy in the right situation. But just focusing on this series right now, he has to find a way to use his big body to, you know, forecheck hard, cycle the puck, draw, you know, wrap the puck around on the backhand and see if he can like get a goal mouth goal or have someone bang in a rebound. Just find a way to make yourself an impact player in the game in the limited minutes you're going to get. I, yeah, I do agree with that. I think we saw that a bit in, in this game, especially with uh, the Fogel McLeod Yamel line mm-hmm. closing out kind of those final few minutes, but he needs to, keep making himself a presence and 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 that's the same that we were saying even with Cassian and uh and Archibald if they're yeah. want to stay in this lineup they 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 need to play physical and and Cassian for sure should have that ability I don't know why it hasn't really come in and it could be because of just kind of these lopsided scores that are happening so far but uh True. with the when when he is on the ice it, it just kind of feels like he's been a non-factor so far um, I'm curious what your thoughts are. We we did see Dylan Holloway. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, 
yeah, go through some warm-ups and I think it was Daniel um, Bowman yesterday. Asked, asked him about, him. he asked Jay about it after the game. And he was like, you, you want to talk about players who took warm-up <laughs> after that? I, I mean, here's the thing. Dylan Holloway was the Oilers' first-round pick in 2020. Philip yeah. Broberg was the Oilers' first-round pick in 2019. Uh, they're both born in 2001. These guys are big parts of the future, but they're so young. Um, we, When I saw Philip Broberg play this year, he had some impressive moments where I said, okay, you know, you can see glimpses of what he could be down the road. I think he has the upside to be uh, a slightly better version of Oscar Clefbaum. As for Dylan Holloway, uh, yeah. And as for Dylan Holloway, I think stylistically he's very similar to Taylor Hall. That's not saying that he's going to produce at the same level as Taylor Hall at the NHL level, but I think that they play a, a similar style of game. Um, but for two 20-year-olds to break in at such an important time of year, and, you know, Holloway's a Calgary area kid, having him come in and play in the Saddle Dome under that much pressure in a, I don't want to call it a must-win game, but a very important game, like the, the biggest game of the season to this point, I think that would have been setting him up for failure. And even if he could contribute more than someone like Fogel or Archibald or Devin Shore right now, you want to find a, a good spot to get him into the lineup. Give him an opportunity to play soft minutes, um, mm-hmm. play play him with skilled players. Like I could see him being a great winger for Nuge on the third line next season. Um, but as for this year, I see him just sort of sticking around, gaining some uh, experience of being around a team uh, that's in the playoffs. Uh, you know, he's played half a year in the American League, coming up and being in the National Hockey League now, just taking in this whole playoff experience. I want him to think about that all summer during his training when he's seeing how hard these guys are working at the most important time of year. And when he shows up to training camp in September, I want to see him at his very best and force his way onto this roster so that he never plays a game in the AHL again, that he'll be a permanent member of the Edmonton Oilers and can help them win games next fall. Yeah, I think that's a great observation. Um, it, it's interesting um, now that we know that we got the split, which is great because we've stolen home ice. If, yeah. if say, the reverse had occurred and it was 0-2, I wouldn't have minded giving him a, a shot, to be honest, because we saw what Kale McCarr did just being called up in the first, uh, what was it, two, two, three years ago where they eliminated Calgary after they won the West. Um, and what Kale McCarr did just coming up as like just into the playoffs and performing uh it it was that kind of uh, expectation but those are lofty expectations to put on any rookie um so I, i i definitely agree that this is that time where you need that experience to kind of shine through and i think it is the people like the Broussards, the the fogels the archies the cassians that that need to step up and and show why they're on this team and 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 fill in those minutes even if they're not substantial I couldn't agree more. Um, before we wrap up, I want to just ask for a couple predictions for you. Uh, who will win the series and in how many games? And do you think McDavid will reach 30 points before the end of this series? Oh, great questions. Uh, going into this series, I, I thought the Oilers would take it in six. I'm still sticking by that. Um, I, I think it's important that uh, we take advantage of home ice now that we've got it. Yeah. Um, as far as McDavid getting 30 points, if, if it goes six games, so that's four more He's games. He's 10 points away. 
10 points away in four games. Yeah, I think he can get to 30 points. Uh, <laughs> At the rate he's possible. scoring, I wouldn't bet yeah. against it, right? Yeah, we're, we're talking about two uh, multi-point gains in every game he's played. I could totally see it, especially if we wake up on the on the power play. So I'm going to say yes to that answer. I mean, what makes it even more absurd is that last year there was only one 30-point scorer in the entire playoffs. The year before, there was only two. And we're talking mm-hmm. about Connor McDavid potentially getting to 30 <laughs> before the conference final. And if the Oilers do win this series, and he even if he doesn't get to 30 points, uh, against the Flames, he'll hit it very early against likely the Avs in the Western Conference Final. I mean, uh, I think only a couple players in NHL history have ever got over 40 points, and we're talking about McDavid joining that category. Like, Wayne Gretzky has done it a couple mm-hmm. times, and uh, Malkin was close. I should know this off the top of my head if anyone else has done it. But like we're we're talking about one of the all-time great playoff years here that he could potentially have if they went all the way. Yeah, no, for sure. Actually, one other question I wanted to quickly ask you was um, if, 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 we, if everything works out well and we make it all the way, you're looking at the final four teams in the East. Would you want to see the 06 rematch? <laughs> Having a chance <laughs> to exercise some demons and... Uh, and get revenge 16 years later would be uh, would be phenomenal. I <laughs> I don't know uh, if they would be the ones like I <laughs> I it's funny enough. I don't hate the Tampa Bay Lightning because when they they beat the the Calgary Flames in 2004, yep. <laughs> so I I will always appreciate them for that. And also Corey Sarich, who was on that team, brought the Stanley Cup back to Saskatoon that summer, so I got to. Uh, get my my picture with it with my dad oh, in, in August of 2014. Yeah, and what what made it even better was my bantam team won the city championship that year, so we both had our our championship jackets and hats on with the Stanley Cup. So I'll always thank the Tampa Bay Lightning for that, as well as <laughs> you know to it to a lesser extent knocking the Leafs out of the playoffs this year. But um, you know they would be a very tough match for us. I you know what. Beating the beating the Carolina Hurricanes and you know uh, getting that getting that back on them would be uh, a great feeling. I have to admit, but losing twice might be additionally might be too much to bear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, that's oh. a very good point. It's interesting you mentioned 04 because uh, I, I don't think I mentioned, but just a few of my favorite players, the ones that just inspired me a lot growing up, uh, one of them was Vincent LeCavalier. So that's why I really just grew to appreciate the Tampa Bay Lightning. And then they drafted yeah. players like Stamkos. Uh, but but for me, some of the other players I just really loved growing up, uh, I even wrote an elementary, I think it was a grade six article was or report was on Joe Sackick. He was one of my oh, wow. favorite players growing up. And, and then the other one, I think just because of, uh, like, obviously I'm born and raised Canadian, but as mm-hmm. someone who does come from like the the immigrant background Paul Korea was also one of my Paul favorites Korea was up. one of my favorites as a kid too I mean um the Mighty Ducks movies were really big for kids from yep. our generation and you know I kind of gravitated towards that team in the the late 90s because of those movies so uh yeah Paul Korea and Timu Solani I loved watching those guys and I did pull up the stat here I, I wanted to share this on the podcast yeah, for so sure. so uh, 40 points in one playoff year has only been achieved four times in history, three of them by Wayne Gretzky and one by Mario Lemieux. 
Gretzky had four Gretzky had 47 points in 1985, which is the NHL record. I knew that he also had 43 in 88 and 40 in 93. That one with the Kings, uh, Mario Lemieux had 44 points in 91, leading the Penguins to their first cup. So, uh, Wayne, uh, went to the finals all three of the times he had 40 points and won the cup. Uh, the two times he did it with the Oilers, Paul Coffey also, uh, the next most, uh, beyond those two he had 37 points in 1984-85 which is still a record for defensemen so i mean that that's the kind of category that we're talking about uh mcdavid being in like if if the oilers do reach the final and i know that it would be very difficult to get by the colorado avalanche and 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 the oilers would be obviously the underdogs going into that series but I think that if they if they did go the distance, he has a real shot of hitting 40 points this year. And, you know, he's he's in his absolute prime. So if he's going to do it, this this next, you know, five year window is when it's most likely to happen. And uh, I mean, we just see year after year the milestones that that he sets. And uh, I, I think that there's been so many great ones in the regular season. And I'd like to see a few more added. Uh, in the playoffs and to go along with all the trophies he's won in the regular season I'd love to see a a Conn Smythe trophy added to his trophy case as well and with the way he's playing right now he would be the uh, front runner for that yeah he definitely would be and to be honest a a series against Colorado I think it would be very high scoring as well so you could definitely see the the points being put up in that series and and then imagine a final against any of those four teams like they're all high scoring teams uh like the panthers don't really play much defense T- tampa tampa's the team that i don't I think the like panthers are going to win now they're they're in two down deep deep two, right? Hole right yeah. now yeah um and you know the oilers have really played the lightning or not the lightning the avalanche as well as any team in the league this season i mean i agree one win uh and two overtime losses and those and games could have gone out, either right? way uh no, I believe that they, well, yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, yes, that is right. They lost the shootout in Edmonton, but I mean, I guess it gets technically registered as an OT loss, but you are, you're right. They lost a shootout game in Edmonton. They lost an overtime game in Colorado, and then they won uh, a regulation game in Edmonton. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so that's what I mean. Like we've, we've one, been oh, in two. every one of those games. <laughs> yes. And I mean, to, to do that against, you know, arguably the best team in the league, it shows you that, you know, they, they can ha- take on anyone. They can handle anyone. And um, I'm hoping they're going to get past the Flames and we'll get to see that series uh, in the conference final. Well, Regu, I want to thank you again so much for being on the podcast. It's been awesome talking to you. I hope you'll come back again and do this sometime. Yeah, for sure, Eric. If uh, if we make it through this series, I'd love to be back on it. It'd be great to have a follow-up discussion kind of dissecting mm-hmm. the, the series when all is said and done. Absolutely. So before we sign off, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Raj Bauer uh, on Twitter. Um, and that, that's my handle. Okay, everyone, please go give him a follow. And uh, thanks again. Yeah, thanks a lot, Eric. It was a great chat. And uh, let's go Oilers. Let's go Oilers. All right. So for Raghu Sharma, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever Podcast. We're out.